Welcome, everybody, to the Cartoncast. My name is Ben. And my name is Zane. And you're back again for a very special bootlegged segment where we look at old movies and see what we think of them as adults, specifically animated movies, of course. Uh, and today, we have a very special guest for our very special movie, our very special listener. Please. Uh, yep, come in from the green. Come out from the cold. <laughs> we it's don't know how to do there. this. Come on in. It is cold out there. We don't have decorum, so, you know. Hey. Uh, come into this grand valley. We, like, told you, like, previously, we're going to do a little intro thing, and you'll come in in a minute, and, and I here expected I am we, now. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I expected we had more decorum, and then I realized that I didn't. Yeah. So, the here we are. Cast, Welcome I mean, to really. the podcast, JT. Hello, I'm JT <laughs> yes. Andrews. Yeah, you got a um, you, you got yeah, a nice this... flat head, flathead. <laughs> oh come on, my head is bald. <laughs> That's part of what makes it so flat. Yeah, uh, JT, welcome to the podcast. Oh, Good nice, to have nice, you on. It's nice being here. This is uh, I like the Carton Cast, so uh, I'm glad to be here. No, I'm glad to hear it. So, uh, JT, give us the skinny. Who are you and why should we care? Oh, I'm JT Andrews. Um, you might know me from uh, another Fancy Bat podcast called the Cocktail Party Congress uh, with mm-hmm. my co-host Dan Caves, who seems to be a regular guest on, on this show. Our resident does, horror expert, Dan He does Caves. seem to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's an honorary member. The keeper of the tomes of, of horror knowledge. They're all written on skin, but not necessarily human skin. Yeah, mix it up. Don't be predictable. (laughs) JT, Uh, would you like to tell us a little bit about the podcast that you do? uh, Yes, we, uh, Dan and I have this uh, podcast, Cocktail Party Congress, and what we do is we talk politics, but our our little gimmick, as it were, is uh, it's a three-drink minimum to be on the show. So what we do is we have like a featured cocktail of of the day, I suppose, of the of the episode. We teach people how to make it and uh, encourage them to drink along with us. And uh, we pick a topic of, uh, I would say, political importance, and we talk about it over cocktails, which is great. Yeah. I mean, by the time at the time we hit record, we're on our third drink, and. Uh, <laughs> We sort of based it off the the model the ancient Persians had is whenever they um, needed to come up with something big and important, they would like the, gather together in a council and they would debate, and they would debate while hammered, and then they then when they sobered up they debate again, and if the idea held up, like if all the arguments <laughs> held up, they figured it was a good idea. So. We decided, you know what, we're going to do this. because <laughs> That's great. Yeah. In vino veritas. In I, I really loved veritas. that conceit as a idea for at least opening conversation, if not closing them. And uh, Zane and I have both now been on your podcast. Uh, it's a real fun time. Um, and I do and not I, hold my alcohol well. <laughs> no, and you, like a goddamn gremlin, had everyone drinking Manischewitz. Oh, it's so good. I was um, not. I was drinking. I was drinking a Malbec that night with Dr. Pepper. <laughs> oh, which... I, I take I take it back. You were having people drink wine and Kool Aid. What was it? <laughs> Dr. Pepper. Dr. Pepper. Whatever. The Jesus. My son, juice. the doctor. 
<laughs> but uh, it's nice to have you on a podcast uh, while sober. We'll see if you yeah. hold up, and then if you do, then it's a good idea. Or however yeah, we'll the have to do the worked. podcast twice, you guys. <laughs> oh boy. Second first, soberer than the first. (laughs) But yeah, I I love the conceit of your podcast. I love listening to you guys. I think that um, I I come from personal experience can state that going and talking about politics is difficult and to do so with this kind of natural lubricant um, in a way that I wish I had phrased differently uh, is is very helpful (laughs) to get through the conversation. So looking forward to great things from you guys. And it's uh, the... The drinking helped out quite a bit uh, for me because, you know, talking about, you know, when we talk about just nonsense, I'm not nervous at all. When when I went on to talk about politics, no I was like a little bit nervous because I was like, I don't want to misrepresent myself. Right. Um, or say so. something that's just categorically untrue that is ever going to be, is forever going to be associated with my beliefs. <laughs> and a, right. after a few drinks, you're just like, you know what, to hell with it. I'm, I'm going to say what I, what I mean at the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But um but it's great to have you on uh for a cartoon and before we get started I I have to ask uh JT are you do you consider yourself a long neck, a big mouth or a three horn? Um I'm Zane, Zane can s- I I'm sorry can, I'm sorry can I just I need to interrupt real quick. Zane that is a great question. I wish <laughs> I thought of it. Is that a great question really? You're going to bring race into the matter? <laughs> yes Cause, cause great that, question i'm standing is, by it that is at the heart of this movie is is racism <laughs> so it yeah. shouldn't matter it's what, about racism what and learning to not like to acknowledge races and not just go full three horn blind but like you know acknowledge that the differences and then come to accept them three horn yeah, blind the sounds stands. like a terrible cover band three horn blind <laughs> sounds like a great cover band how's it going to be when I'm a Triceratops anymore. <laughs> like I said, terrible cover band. All right. Sounds great. <laughs> but yeah, the question stands. Assuming it was a legitimate question, it wasn't Zane just... I like fun. to hear myself talk. Yeah, um, maybe, maybe it was like that. Yeah, I haven't really even considered this question. <laughs> wow, that's very progressive of you. Uh, yeah <laughs> it's not even he doesn't see he doesn't he doesn't these, see horns Zane. Diff- <laughs> yeah I, d- I don't see horns i don't see necks oh I mean. boy um so uh <laughs> yeah. well, <I'm> definitely <laughs> let's a, retreat from that to say i'm definitely places. a three horn uh and three horns are also in this movie that we're going to talk about today da, 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 da. Zane, Zane, wait, I'm sorry, wait, Zane, can I, I, I need to interrupt we're you for a second. Zane, that's a really killer segue. <laughs> we're all really bad at this. Segue! <laughs> the Land Before Time. Land yes. Before Time, from 1988. Originally Eugene. titled The Land Before Time Began, which, <laughs> like, yeah. just shorten I'm, that up. I'm definitely going to do one of my favorite things and continually refer to the movie with different prepositions. So, oh. like, The Land on Top of Time. <laughs> it's, right. I don't know how this deficiency got in my brain, but it's not coming out. So just, I guess, deal with it. So The Land Through Time came out in 1988. It was produced by Amblin Entertainment, Lucasfilms, and Sullivan Bluth Studios, and was directed by Don Bluth in association with Spielberg and George Lucas. It was hugely popular and got 13 sequels as well as a TV series. And I believe some of the sequels were musicals. I think um, they, all of the sequels were musicals. All, yeah. The sequels were shit. I mean, <laughs> I'm just yeah. going to put that out there right now. 
The first one I'm very really glad good, that you had us watch the original. Uh, we've we've dealt with Amblin Entertainment before. We've uh, I we I believe that they were behind Fable Goes West. Mm-hmm. Bible Goes West, American Tale. Um, I want to say a few cartoons that we've done. I'm sure. Were they involved in the Secret of Nim? I don't know. Don Bluth directed that. That was his first movie. Yeah, this is definitely in the Don Bluth vein of like. Well, his name's on the directing sad animals. title, <laughs> right? He's good with sad animals. Yeah, used to work for Disney. I mean, yeah, that's kind of their that's kind of their bread and butter. This came out of uh, when they were making An American Tale because Spielberg wanted to do a new version of Bambi, uh, but with dinosaurs. Yeah, I want Bambi, di- but with dinosaurs. Dinosaurs was, are rad. Yeah, it was originally also, supposed to be without... Also, we can put as many plot elements from Lion King as <laughs> yeah. possible in here. That would be just yeah, That's just a remake of Hamlet. <laughs> it's a remake of a remake of Hamlet. Um, I mean, it, was, movie... it was originally supposed to not have dialogue, which I think would have made for a really interesting movie. Well, yeah. that's, that's that's the thing is that this movie also takes cues from the uh, one segment in Fantasia. What is it? What was it? The right of the right of, right of spring. The right of spring by Igor Stravinsky. Yes, which is a long dialogueless showcase of kind of different um, prehistoric eras where dinosaurs ruled the earth, including the Genesis, um, kind of the. I guess Exodus, as it were, and then finally the extinction event, as they all, you know, starved and died, and, and that's where we start in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> that's where we, we begin. That's our, our starting point. But um, yeah, so this movie was very popular. Um, clearly, you can see plot elements from it in things like the Brave Little Toaster or um, Lion King. I uh, I also detected some like kind of similar elements musically speaking to mm-hmm. uh, of all things Jurassic Park. I'll get into uh, that later, definitely. but I feel similar, like a lot of the kind um, of thing I feel like John Williams might have actually drawn from this. This was the beginning J- of Dino Fever. This was yeah. not a John Williams movie. I mean, this was uh James James Horner. Uh James his, Horner. his score, he was directing this the London Symphony Orchestra in It's an amazing score. I mean, it's so good. Uh, the the I'm sorry to cut you off, but I have such strong associations with the, the with the score. All the emotional beats I did not realize had camped out in my brain for 20 years without me <laughs> ever remembering them. Like they yeah. were sleeper agents in my brain, waiting for me to hear the score again and just all come pouring back. Yeah, the score is one of my favorite scores, like just movie scores uh, in mm-hmm. general. Um, James Horner did a fantastic job with this, um, and I think he went on to do Titanic. Now, I'm kind of surprised that it was Horner that, that got the job, because uh, Don Bluth, his previous, uh, one of his previous movies, Secret of Nim, that was Jerry Goldsmith who did the score for that, and Goldsmith's pretty hard to top, but James Horner gave him a run for his money. Yeah, I don't know if he. I don't know if I, I'm not familiar with uh, that other guy's work, um, uh, but well, you know, uh, you ever watch uh, Star Trek: Next Generation? Like the uh, I actually have not. You have not because he he wrote the uh, spot for he me. wrote the opening theme for that because it, that was taken from uh, Star Trek: The Motion Picture, which is two and a half hours of sheer boredom, but <laughs> but the music release was decent. Oh, what else did he do? Well, I, I wonder. I wonder if he he could. Uh, I wonder if uh, somebody who wasn't James Horn would have accomplished this bleak tone in such a considered and deep way. 
Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I, I feel like I feel like the tone of the music is very James Horner, and I, I'm having a hard time imagining it being any other way, which is just kind of a mark of quality in its own right. So maybe you know, maybe maybe someone else could have handled this. I can't imagine it being any better than it is. Uh, James Horner struck that that real delicate balance between, I would say, he captured the tragedy, he captured the curiosity of, mm-hmm. of I mean, we're dealing with, uh, with children. We're dealing with uh, very young dinosaurs. Um, kind of an oxymoron today, but... Uh, <laughs> But yeah, we're they're dealing, all they're all somebody's kids. Yeah, they're somebody's they're, dinos kids. They're curious about the world. They're you know they're very new to the world, and uh, he really captures that um, that curiosity along mm-hmm. with the tragedy, the the action sequences, which are great. Um, yeah, it's a great pairing for Don Bluth's animation, as well as like that feeling of hope and like the resiliency of children to just keep moving forward. You know, regardless of the catastrophes around them it's sort of like in um it's sort of like in the brave little toaster how david newman uh was the composer and conductor for that and uh his music is very much uh influenced by a chord of sadness resting in every bright emotion and vice versa Mm -hmm. so I, i never feel as though i'm listening to a thing that is entirely one feeling i feel like it's always bittersweet or melancholy with a note of hope in it or excitement with a element of tension you know yeah. it's, yeah, very, it's complex. very textured yeah, yeah. Music's um, <laughs> in terms of the tone of the movie uh they actually had to cut several scenes in order yes, to bring the favorite. rating yes, to bring I the know. rating down from my, pg my to g favorite, my favorite quote was spielberg when he said he, he's like and i'm quoting him here it's too scary we'll have kids crying in the lobby and a lot of angry parents you don't want that <laughs> the you don't want that is really great because like as though it had to be explained at that point. Well, he's a master that, storyteller i really wish that footage was not just lost on on the cutting room floor like it, it was destroyed it will never see it again which is really unfortunate because i want to see that i don't know if i need to see that to be honest um I know I, you know I, I know that cry. there were kind of more action-oriented scary t-rex sequence or sharp tooth excuse me sequences um that 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 cut cut along with some other things, mm-hmm. and I really, I don't really think I need action as much in this movie. Like I think they they put in as much as was necessary, and yeah. it, it worked. I don't know if I would yeah. have wanted any more. Yeah, I would like they, to see it, it just work. as I'm curious what they cut out, but I don't right. know if this could, movie could have benefited well, from it keeping it. In. It definitely didn't overstay its welcome. This is a very short movie. It um, is yeah, an hour only, and nine. Yeah, it's an hour and nine. Going back um, to this movie made me appreciate a lot of considerations for movies that have kind of been lost in our current era. The ability to have a movie be 70 minutes long, the ability for a movie to like be it's it's sort of like a Grimm's fairy tale kind of thing or where the stories are for kids but they are very much bleak and dire and can you imagine a kids movie coming out right now that had anything close to the word death in it? Mm. Or, even or just future death, <laughs> or just yeah. have long shots of watching people be sad. Like the movie doesn't have a ton of plot, but it does have a lot of moments where it just lets you sit in the atmosphere. Right. Absolutely. Like this, this movie, it treats kids like they're older than they are. 
which is something yes. we hmm. don't really see that often anymore. I think we, we've lost it. it. It's like we either get brighter and happier with our kids' movies, or they're just so dark that they're movies for adults. I mean, they're not for mm-hmm. kids, uh, yeah, which is yeah, unfortunate. Too much brightness makes the child go blind, yeah, we, I think, is, is the, the point there. Right. We need more films to to pretty much point out to kids that, yeah, the, this is part of life. Like you have, like almost teaching them from an early age that yes, you're gonna experience grief and sadness, and it's gonna be you're gonna have a bad time. You know, in just you're in gonna life, have a bad time. you're gonna mm-hmm. have a bad time. <laughs> but at the same time, you get sort of like Bob Ross always said was like you gotta have a few moments of sadness to appreciate the good stuff. You know, to, to appreciate, appreciate the, the happy times. little trees. Oh yeah. And they, by the end, they do appreciate the happy little trees, and, and it ends on a kind of an optimistic uh, note, which is why they were able to have so many sequels. Yeah, and why they were probably able to have it be as bleak leading up to that moment is because, you know, parents know that it's going to end okay, mm-hmm. um, and that, that kind of gives them some security there. But I do think that we have lost something as movies have become more and more mainstream, as animation has really stepped into the spotlight, and there's always a market for it now. That means that you kind of have to appeal to the broadest population possible as opposed to just make a, making a movie. It almost feels like kind of for its own sake, you know, yeah. um, well, I, it, I, it, and it and in order to do that, it, it has to be safe in a way that it didn't used to be. Well, mm-hmm. Animated movies, I feel like um, since the advent of computer animation, I mean, even traditional 2D animation has it, it, it's gone the way of the wayside. And I feel like that old cell photography that they used to use, like like this film did, um, it takes it took so much time and effort to to draw out frame by frame what everything you know everything that was going on. So I feel like they appreciated their characters a lot more. You know, they really wanted you know a quality product. And, yeah. yeah, this this movie in particular, like the character models are fantastic like these characters look like stuffed animals already they they um, were stuffed animals this this is one of those properties that has been marketed so much that like there were burger king tie-ins in korea mm-hmm. for you know land before time stuff and <laughs> there was a pizza stuff, hut tie-in for us everywhere. i mean um, or that's what i US. meant yeah pizza yeah. hut did the the hand puppets and they were like rubber i think i had that's, one as a kid i can't remember <laughs> that's what it was though. Yeah. But even more than the character models, like the landscapes, um, the backgrounds, man, they, this is straight up rites of spring. Well, they they researched natural history in order to get you know the animals right, to get the landscapes right, to make sure like, oh, would these plants have existed they, at that time? They like, sent a lot the animators to in. natural history museums. How cool is that? <laughs> the backgrounds Field are trip. Like my favorite part of this entire movie. Like aesthetically, mm-hmm. are my favorite part. It does a lot for of, the atmosphere. The yes, it's, it does. It, it, it's all like it's all like very flowing and and mixing watercolors it feels like yeah i mm-hmm. love the uh, uh there's a there's a couple of shots in there that are fantastic one of them i think is when during the open there's like you see sort of the dust storm and the dinosaurs marching off in the distance and it's very red it, it's bright but you get this feeling the reds of, and oranges yeah you, man. you feel dread almost you know that something bad is going on <laughs> like it yeah. lends itself to the atmosphere you feel you know it just you feel their their plight almost 
Um, a, a red sky does so much for the mood of a moment right. that, like, it doesn't require any explanation. You yeah. know something's bad. Like, tonally, like, first of all, red is associated with danger and stop and things like that. But tonally, right. it also resembles what we know as the setting sun. Like, this time, the time of dinosaurs is pretty much over. Like, this is an ending. And that's where we start. And then you get things like danger, holy shit, volcanoes. I love those shots. Everything with the volcanoes in them. I'm just like, this is great. Yes. I love it. It starts red and it gets really red. And it makes every piece of green feel very important, which it is. So it's it's this weird immersive touch that really lets you sink into the plight of these dinosaurs. Um, I feel like life is uh, at the center of it. Like the the extension of life the the ability to go on living is so important and so key to the story uh and to all the characters that green represents that life they're searching for you know mm-hmm. a better life they're searching for more green right yeah right um it's interesting then that the you know that the backgrounds and the world does so much in you know conveying this emotion uh, but at the same time, there's a lot of stuff that is told rather than shown with a narrator kind of telling us stuff that's kind of obvious. So it will tell us like, right. oh, Littlefoot felt sad but kept moving forward. Like, I can I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> I, at first, I really liked the narrator. And then I really started to tire of him. <laughs> I, I like his voice. I mean, it's Pat Hengel. It's, it's, it's the... Yeah, it's Commissioner Gordon who's narrating this story. You could do worse. <laughs> and, yeah, I, I sort of, you grow tired of the narrator. He, he sort of, like, falls out of style ra- rather quickly. But I, I loved him in the beginning. I loved him in the beginning. I feel like he he had that good voice for an opening dialogue, but after that opening dialogue, he didn't quite need to be there. Mm-hmm. How how necessary do you feel like they how 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 necessary do you think Spielberg and Lucas thought the narrator was given that this was marketed to small kids? Do, do you I, think I, I that think he so. was a necessary component um, to spell out the situation because to him? Originally, this was supposed to be without dialogue, and I feel like having just having the narrator would have been just all narration mm-hmm. instead of. Um, instead of character dialogue, that would have been an interesting movie. Um, so I feel like it, it, it was almost a compromise. Yeah. Um, I think it was the right call yeah. 30 years ago. I don't think they would do it that way today. Right. There's probably a, be- no. there's probably a better way to do it, but um, as far as the finished product is concerned, yeah, I'm, I'm pleased with it. Yeah, I, I am too, but it does feel extraneous to me. And I think that maybe, and I, I can't speak to other people, I think that maybe Lucas and Spielberg are either expecting too much or too little from kids in having this narrator. Because I remember watching this as a kid, and I don't recall having strong association with the narrator telling I me I forgot he was there. I remember just looking at Littlefoot's sad face and just being mm-hmm. affected by that. You know, it it comes through in the characters if you had more subtle characters, less expressive characters, maybe we could use the narration. Mm-hmm. I never felt like I needed it. So now that I'm talking about uh, how I experienced it as a kid, I have to ask you, why did you decide to do this movie? Um, 
I had it on hand. <laughs> nice. Um, also, it is, it is a very important movie. Uh, I watched this a lot growing up, like just a lot. Uh, it's probably one of my favorite movies when I was when I was younger. I always I loved dinosaurs when I was a kid. I still do. Um, yeah. I, f- I feel like right. I feel like all kids love dinosaurs. I mean, yeah. And every ki- every kid has like that favorite dinosaur of theirs, or not even a dinosaur, but like just prehistoric creature. Oh, it's like one of the three things that you start drawing first as a as yeah. a kid. Like if you're doodling something, you're doodling a dinosaur, <laughs> or like Superman, or like a wizard. You know, <laughs> the big three. Did you two, did you two have favorite the dinosaurs? Big three. I wonder how much of that cuddly dinosaur aesthetic owes itself to this movie, though. Because, like, apparently that was a, a kind of a jarring decision to make cutesy dinosaurs. Uh, but favorite dino, I would have to say, like, probably Stegosaurus. I like those Thagomizers. I like a Stag. The Thagomizer. I love, I love yeah. the fact that it's named a Thagomizer after a Far Side cartoon. <laughs> like, that, that's so my good. favorite part. I'm not aware of this. So, um, oh, man. there's a... Gary Larson, who's a cartoonist, he he had this uh, this cartoon in the paper called The Far Side. I, I very, know what Far Side yeah. is. <laughs> anyway, at one one of the, his cartoons was it was a group of cavemen in, sitting in a lecture hall, and there's this caveman with a pointer pointing at the uh, the tail of a stegosaurus. And with its uh, spikes, and he said, "And here is the Thagomizer, named after the late Thag Simmons." And before, <laughs> yeah, pale- and it didn't have a name. Yeah, previously. paleontologists did not have a name for the the spikes on a Stegosaurus's tail, so they started calling it the Thagomizer <laughs> after, after this cartoon. <laughs> so now it's a legitimate scientific term that it's called the Thagomizer. <laughs> It's so dumb. That's amazing. I, <laughs> I I love it when I love it when media properties come out with their own proprietary terminology that the world just accepts. You know, like yeah. how mm-hmm. how Calvin and Hobbes came up with the word transmogrifier, and now that is an actual term that is used to describe. Yeah, or the yeah. or the Sonic Hedgehog gene. Is that a Sonic yeah. Hedgehog gene? <laughs> yeah, it controls like wing growth in flies, and they called it Sonic Hedgehog. <laughs> what? <laughs> You know what, Zane? Fine. Oh. <laughs> weird, Show notes. Weird genetic well, brain. What was it recently? It was. I can't remember. It had something to do with uh, astronomy, you know, or something in quantum physics. I don't remember what, but they they didn't have a name for it, so they started calling it. They started calling it Steve, and it just stuck. <laughs> like they didn't have a name for it. It's like, yeah, let's call it Steve. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so it, it's now an actual scientific term that they're using I to mean, describe. Once thing. you get that sounds once familiar. you get to physics, it's all silly names like dark matter and spooky action. Spooky action at a distance is, uh, I feel like that's such an evocative term. That means that is so commonly misrepresented, but I, I think it's really fun. Still not as good as um, Steve. <laughs> We we should dig ourselves out of this hole though. Um, <laughs> yes. Oh, because we have a lot we do, to say about this movie. Before we do, speaking of quantum terminology, have any of you guys watched Ant Man and the Wasp? No. I haven't seen it yet. Is it they any good? Say quantum so many times that it becomes an in joke, and wow. you know, Ant Man eventually turns to them and is like, "Are you guys just saying quantum in front of everything just to mess with me?" 
And as somebody who used to study physics, that it really bothered me too. And it was very like gratifying when he called it out. Like quantum healing energy is uttered in that movie with total Ooh. seriousness. It's next time on empowered. It's Until. terrible. Okay, we can dig ourselves out of the hole now. Okay. So um, I don't know if we want to say anything else about the movie in general before we get to the uh, to the plot of it. I would like to say a co- what I think are a couple common themes to reference as we go forward. <laughs> After you blow, blow your nose. Gross. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I think what I think one very big point of this story is it's not a story of extinction but a story of kind of community and evolution not not in the physical evolution sense but as in like the a community coming together to help with um a crisis so and, and there's like a lot of racial tones in there as well but as resources grow scarce and the untold dangers kind of develop, Dino Kind have to develop a new social structure and work together instead of, you know, eat every man for himself. It, it, it's requiring right. a social system. Racism is huge. Yeah, like, yeah. race is a huge theme in this in this story. Um, but yeah, I agree, I agree with that. You have race, overcoming adversity, friendship. Well, and, and just recognizing that the old social order doesn't work because this is a threat they've never faced. And... You know, it's it's kind of like I don't remember if it was like civilization, but there's different kind of it's like a game where there's different kind of uh, social systems that you can put in place and they each have their own effects and bonuses like democracy right. is good for this one thing, but bad for this other thing. Zane, you might know more than me about this. Yeah, that what, like, like the, the tech like tree and civilization yes. like that sounds yeah, like so you can click on like, oh, this turn I need to be in despotism because I need the plus one to my building. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of what it reminded me of is this, you know, every man for himself and sticking to your own kind worked in the past because of, you know, maybe pack mentality or tribalism. And we're now in a situation where we really have to have a greater society and community in order to survive. And they're, yeah. that and stuck they out to me like a thumb. And they've still got all of those stigmas associated with like their past racial divisions that they now have to yes. address mm-hmm. and bring to the foreground. Um, there's another. There's another thing that I'm thinking of is that uh, there's a lot of Christian allegory about going to the promised land. And you said that this is not a film about extinction, but what if all the characters are actually dead at the end of this? That that <laughs> well, they are reaching eventually. the promised land is like yeah they've already died this is like this is the end of it they've gone to paradise if, if that would explain all the singing and dancing in the sequels uh, yeah you know I, I've heard that, that this is, is a Christian allegory from a couple of places <laughs> and I kind of don't buy it I think this is one of those things where if you look at anything at the right angle it comes out as Jesus yeah like sort of the six clicks to Jesus <laughs> game on Wikipedia. There, there's a TV tropes term called everyone is Jesus in purgatory. And it's just, uh, it, it's recognizing that if you look at something popular enough to have a lot of people talking about it, you can frame it in such a way that the protagonist is Jesus and he's in purgatory. Just because Christianity and Dante's Inferno are so deeply ingrained concepts that we see them everywhere. Yeah, pretty much. At least it's in also, Western, Western um, civilization, I suppose. But. Yeah. yeah. It it also plays in because another one of the themes is like 
this push and pull between hope and despair. Uh, yeah, I, um, I would phrase it as like coping with tragedy. Coping with tragedy, but also like because they're children, the it kind of gets boiled down to like fear and curiosity. Hmm. Like being afraid of what's ahead of you, but moving forward regardless, um, which is... You know that's that's a theme in a lot of classic stories. So you can you can you know oh this is Hamlet too. You yeah, know not not to mention that that ties back into the community aspect because you can be afraid of other people, or you can be brave and accept them. And you know if you're curious enough about them, then you can kind of walk across the aisle and interact with them and ultimately come out the better for it. Like it's a very it's a weirdly cogent prof- like a progressive movie, especially in these very mistrustful times. And I really appreciate the message. What's great is we're seeing this through the eyes of children. I mean, yeah. children who are curious about the world and how the world works, and they're asking these questions about, you know, about race. I mean, you have our lead character, Littlefoot, asking, you know, what is a long neck? And it's like, why can't I play with that three horn? Because we were having fun. You know, why can't I do that? And yeah. it, it, I feel like you need that, that children's perspective uh, to make this work because they're, they're mm-hmm. starting, they question things that are established social order right? With, without any real consequences or without any, um, you know, without any prior prejudice. I mean, they're, well, they're cause, learning. Cause for the, cause the people who have like the, the dinosaurs who have that very ingrained in their heads know that not mixing, you know, not crossing the racial line has helped them in every circumstance that they've dealt with when food was plentiful. But again, in this kind of we need to create a new society to deal with our problems, the like the people who haven't been brought up in a world where that's not a option are able to see it as a viable strategy. And you know, it, it it's sort of and I'm I'm kind of really reaching here. It's sort of a um it's sort of, the message is sort of like, you know, leave it's sort of like traditionalism against um progressivism in that if the problem is new we need a new solution the old stuff clearly isn't going to work here so we just have to hope and you know you push forward and hope for the best the the prejudices of the previous generation die out when they do right right i feel like that's something that they learn at the end of the movie but going through it at the very beginning, they don't really have the the stigmas um, of that racial separation. They sort of know it exists, except for the character Sarah, who has just taken after her father and is horribly racist <laughs> throughout the entire yeah, that, thing. That's but, the thing is, yeah, they're, they're not really, they aren't brainwashed. But they are definitely taking yeah. after their parents. They still have that innocence, that childhood innocence, which I yeah. think is another theme in this movie: is that is innocence mm-hmm. from the mouth of babes. Um, with with that kind of curiosity in mind, we should get to the characters, which yes. features the most curious foot, Littlefoot. Yeah, yeah, he's always very inquisitive, asking why things are the way they are, and like it's always in an optimistic sense. Like I know this can be better. Right, well, he does, but. Later on, he kind of, uh, you know, uh, certain tragedies occur, and he starts kind of having <laughs> showing some traditional and sentimental tendencies and and a reluctance to move forward because it's the only connection he has to right. his loved ones is this kind of traditionalist sentimentality. 
And at the same time, he sort of acts as, I'd say, the moral paladin of the of the group. Like he sure. he knows mm-hmm. what is morally right, and you know, in this struggle for survival, it's about um, sort of maintaining that um, that optimism, almost. Yeah, maintaining the, the the morality of the situation and not devolving into you know violence or trying not to. Um, but at the same time, still very all he shares. What's in common with all of these characters is they're all very ignorant of the world, except right. for the elder. They're ignorant of the world, which is great because they act as sort of like this tabula rasa, uh, you know, for the viewers. Like, especially yeah. considering that this is you know aimed at children who who are themselves ignorant of the world, and um, this they is have to trust of, what's told them. Yeah, and right. the the characters are in the same way. So it's it's all a learning game. It is. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to say, just to connect something to Zane, that Zane said, the kind of push and pull of traditionalist versus inquisitive progressive, um, I think kind of mirrors that depression hope scale that you were talking about earlier. Yeah. You can mm-hmm. kind of see him sinking into depression as he's still grieving for yeah. people that he's no longer with. And that's, you know, it's very much he's trying to remain close to his old life. Whereas yeah, he gets he, hopeful when he sees a bountiful future with his new family. Yeah, he he puts all his um, all his chips in his mom's idea of a of a promised land, but he it's is he, he decides the way the way to get there is through this new way of working together. Yes. Um, so he's yeah, he, I, really great, really sympathetic uh, character, and uh, we should mention that he is a long neck. Yeah. I, I I love the like childlike designations of these dinosaurs because yes. we don't need the technical terms because mm-hmm. those will just slide right it feels off. Like me. Lord of the Flies. I, I was gonna bring yeah. that up. I love <laughs> just the terms they use to describe their world. Like they refer to the sun as the bright circle. So yes. they have a. They don't really know what things are, how they work, <laughs> but they have words to describe what they are. Yeah, they got pattern recognition at least. You know the mountains that burn. You know to to say volcanoes. That's so cool, yeah. I love this proprietary terminology that they have for all for what they are, and it makes yeah. sense. It, it's like, great for world building when when uh, fictional characters do things like that. It's <sighs> like you have words that are common knowledge and to everybody who's watching this, but not to the characters in in the film. It, it's it's so evocative too. You like you hear T Rex, whatever. You hear Sharp Tooth. It's like right. chilling on a whole different level. Yeah, like Earthshake. Yeah, that's exactly what is it good. is. <laughs> um, so next is uh, Sarah, yep. who is a three horn. Yeah, and she she plays it a bit straighter to the traditional side of things. Um, but it's not out of malice. It's it's from pride. Yeah, it is from pride. She's, very, been, she's been told that like we don't need anybody yeah, else. Very headstrong, very impatient. She's aggressive and still very ignorant of the world. Um, but she, I almost feel like she's the oldest of the group because she's had the most exposure to the the societal norms that are presented in this movie. I can I can see that. And it, it does reinforce the whole uh, the youth are the ones who will kind of lead us to the future kind of thing. Because right. if she's the oldest, maybe she's the most traditional. Yeah. So in, in, a, in that sense, I think she is the oldest of the group, but um, but still ignorant of the world. 
Mm-hmm. Um, just lacking that questioning as to why things are the way they are. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and we'll get more into her later. I really yeah, like yeah. her character. I think she might be my favorite character in this movie. Um, shit, moving on. She is. <laughs> <laughs> what? So she's a little shit. That's what she is. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's that's why she's my both. favorite. Uh, moving on, we've got the other guys, and they're like, you know, <laughs> well, they're kind of too young to be like major characters. Like Spike doesn't talk at all; he just eats. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's cute. He, he is very motivated by food and sleep. Ducky is a big mouth, and uh, and she's like pretty adorable, but basically just like acts as like whenever somebody says something, she agrees. She, I mean, she's, she's pretty uh, great. I really like Ducky. Yep, she's yep, playful. Yep. She's innocent. Like she's the embodiment of innocence in in this. Um, yeah, there's a there's a bit of trivia behind her voice actor. Oh yes, I was going to yeah. bring that up. Uh, would you like Judith to? Barcy? Judith Barcy. Um, yeah, Judith, unfortunately, was uh, killed by her father at a very young age, not long after, I can't remember if it was this movie or All Dogs Go to Heaven. She, she started, it was All Dogs Go to Heaven. It was All Dogs Go to Heaven. She yeah. was like just wrapped, and, and she was killed by her father. And her her grave marker actually has, uh, because she considered Ducky her favorite character that she played, she, it actually has yup, yup, yup written on it and it makes me so sad to hear about that i'm getting i'm getting shivers just thinking about it i'm not there's no joking about this that's a tragedy but i i will say i really appreciate that like she brought so much joy to the world through this character i know you know Mm -hmm. it's a little bittersweet very much so yeah yeah i I would have been remiss if i had not mentioned that yeah but but um and then the last character is a petrie other uh, ducky flyer is he doing like a Robin Williams impression? No, Robin Williams. I'm pretty sure. Okay, Zane. When did Fern Gully come out? Nineties. Oh yeah, God, I think it was after yeah, this. It, was it, way, it must have been way after, after this. I think. I think that this is. A, I think uh, Robin Williams did a ducky or uh, did a Petrie impression. <laughs> it's so weird. Yeah, because they're baddies, like, and that this one. character really doesn't add anything. Comic relief. I, <laughs> he is the comic relief. I like him though. Relief. Like, yeah. I, I like I how like cowardly him. he is. I mean, he's like the cowardly lion without being a predator. So, like, yeah, and oh, and man. he and Judith together, or I mean, he he and Ducky, Petrie and Ducky together, kind of feel like the younger kids that Littlefoot and uh, Littlefoot has to kind of, you know, they're a little too innocent, mm-hmm. and he needs to provide some direction. So, like, you know, you have the too innocent and too accommodating and too, you know not traditional enough i i feel like sarah was kind of like the strong leader like the more natural leader than littlefoot is it's just you know her bullheadedness doesn't really help her and we do need some kind of stubbornness and ability to say a thing and believe in it and go in a direction in order to make a proper leader um which is why littlefoot is actually able to do what he does but mm-hmm. these are very much you know little kids tagging along because they don't know what else to do like they don't have much right. of an active presence yeah and then, then he um, Spike. yeah he's <laughs> yeah. a dog yeah. i mean spike is <laughs> he's dog. the family I, dog i almost feel like you have littlefoot sarah and spike make up like the id the ego and the super ego yeah you're <laughs> going to some carton cast <laughs> classics here 
yeah, like Littlefoot's sort of the moral conscience is the super ego. Sarah's very the here and now, very impatient, representing the ego, and Spike is just the id, just food and sleep. You know, I can I can see that. I don't know if it adds. He's anything. adorable, though. I, I do love, love I love the way he looks. I love the way he eats things. One of the only things I really remembered uh, from this movie before watching it is that scene of him like hatching and then yeah. eating entirely. <laughs> yeah, eating his house. Just really. that little smile, and that's it. <laughs> uh, those those half closed lids are so yeah. great. He just look, he looks he like, looks a like happy he belongs. I love like a, his character design. Yeah, he, like he belongs in a Banjo Kazooie <laughs> game. Yeah, he, yeah, that's where he belongs. I love his character design. Designed after uh, Don Bluth's dog. Good stuff. Yeah, Chow Chow. <laughs> that's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's rare that I find characters that I feel are unnecessary. Yeah, but I don't dislike, and this is mm-hmm. one of them. Like, I don't think we needed him. I don't think he adds much. But I still like seeing him because he's he's not put on mm. front stage and not like kind of baby grooted up, you know. Like we're not focusing on him a lot of the time to make kids laugh. He mm. just he's a presence that is enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's uh, that's pretty much the characters. Those um, are the main characters. Yeah, then we got some others in there. That I'm sure we'll come to as we go along with the plot. Indeed. Yeah. So let's yeah let's get started then. Um. We begin in the primordial sea, with strange ancient creatures and a lot of bubbles. Bubbles! An indulgent amount of bubbles. <laughs> this is how Rites of Spring yeah. started. Like, I feel like life starts from the ocean is a is a trope that happens a lot for prehistory Because it did. <laughs> well, there's that. There's the abstract nature, yeah. the emotional orchestra. We get some big swells. There's grandness. There's melody in the horns, like right out of Fantasia. <laughs> it is very obvious that Fantasia was a huge influence for this in in this scene. Yeah. But then we get the narrator giving us some long context, ago um, in a planet identically far away. <laughs> well, I, I kind of like the poetry of what he says. Like once on this same earth, beneath the same sun, before you and like the it. You can cut it in. It's really good. Once upon this same earth, beneath the same sun. Long before you, before the ape and the elephant as well, before the wolf, the bison, the whale, before the mammoth and the mastodon, in the time of the dinosaurs. Now the dinosaurs were of two kinds. Some had flat teeth and ate the leaves of trees, and some had sharp teeth for eating meat and they preyed upon the leaf eaters. Then it happened that the leaves began to die. The mighty beasts who appeared to rule the earth were ruled in truth by the leaf. Desperate for food, some of the dinosaur herds struck out toward the west, searching for the Great Valley, a land still lush and green. It was a journey toward life. Yeah, he's, he's talking directly to the kids in the audience. Yeah, which is great. Yes. But yeah, I, I like I like him here. He's just as as a person setting things up. I like the narrator. This is where I I think his voice uh, really lent itself to this. Like he's he's got a really good narrator voice to describe these sort of events. I can't think of anybody else that would have done a better job. Not even Morgan mm-hmm. Freeman. 
<laughs> I also like that. I like the. I like that movies back then were not afraid to narrate a bit. Like I think that there's a conceit that don't tell show, and that's uh, you know. So so a lot of the time you get you know people saying their names not to the audience but to a different person who just showed up, and that's how we know. Um, but there are places where narration is more appropriate and i think this is one of them and it's and it's not overdone either i mean it's really not overdone it's just enough dialogue to to get things going and it's needed because literally some of the people watching this have never heard of dinosaurs right and how else are we going to get about how how else will we get the promised land shit and how else will we know how bleak things are like we can't just he describes sorry go ahead yeah, he describes herbivores and carnivores, uh, the changing climate, sort of, and uh, the the migration of dinosaurs into the West toward the Great Valley. Right. Mm-hmm. That's where we get our introduction to the motivation of all of these dinosaurs. It's like we have to find the Great Valley. We have to find the Promised Land. Like, it's out there somewhere. We know it. We know it's there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I get the feeling like they don't actually know that there's something out there. They're just like this is our best shot so let's just go for it yeah and then we get to see uh the protagonist littlefoot we get to see him being hatched which is great like we get him at yeah. his most pure we we grow up with him after a lot of danger where like the egg that he's in is like kidnapped oh, yeah. and like it's being bounced all over the place <laughs> i'm like was littlefoot dropped as a baby like is this is this coming into play? And this is this is the first of many instances where there's just like random things falling down and getting yeah. hurt, and it doesn't um, matter. Yeah, they're they're sturdy, <laughs> very sturdy. I, I but uh, Littlefoot's a little too adorable for me here. I could have done without his rosy cheeks and eyelashes. That's so adorable. The, the eyelashes were distracting. Ugh, it's <laughs> I'm like I am positive dinos don't have those. <laughs> the, it's the rosy cheeks that really dig. It looks like a cherub baby. Coupled to me. with James Horner's music at that moment, it's like cuteness mm-hmm. overload. Peaceful flute, open tones. Yeah. There, there's this theme that keeps on coming back up with the kind of the chanting theme. Um, you, you've got like either like clarinet or something and a, this kind of chanting mm-hmm. over it that is, re- mixes very well. And this was the theme that I remembered for like two decades without realizing it. The, and, um, yeah, it, it always, whenever it happens, it's nice and dramatic and sad. And I really <laughs> love it. Where's his dad? We'll, we'll have to cut that in as well. Cause I Where's love it so his dad? Yeah. Deadbeat dad. Uh, yeah. Father's not in the pony <laughs> one. Uh, the the narrator gives us some real poetry. He says, you know, his only family was his mother, grandmother, and grandfather. He knew them by sight, by scent, by love. Yeah, the, 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 the like licking each other thing. They set it up very tactilely. You know, very saccharine. It's very nice. I mean, I, I want it to be that way. I want to feel this relationship that he has. And it and it indicates just how important family is you know this is the only baby their tribe produced yeah that's i mean it also sets up the setting food is so scarce that their tribe you know long necks are real big animals compared to the other ones that we're gonna look with look at god the scale of the animals in this is amazing they're so much bigger than the baby right (laughs) 
Yeah. Let's see. It, it, it's almost like it's exaggerated to tell it from the child's perspective. Like when your parent, when you're tiny, I mean, mm-hmm. the world's huge. Then you, it, mm-hmm. it's almost like you, you, you go back and revisit some of the things from your childhood and you're like, man, I remember this being a lot bigger and a lot better. <laughs> one of my one of my favorite scenes in the great great mouse detective is when they go to like a game shop and there's regular sized people's games and so like they're walking across a chessboard and it takes far longer than you would expect because they're really emphasizing their size difference right. mm-hmm. and, it would, and I, I always love seeing that there, there was a i feel like we watched something recently where a couple of the characters were very different sizes and i was really impressed but i can't remember what it was um. Hmm. Eh, in any case, maybe something in Fantasia, perhaps. Um, but time passes, and we see him like being that inquisitive little boy that he is. Um, and his mom sort of just explains, you know, why there's no food, she, she why, kind where of they're explains going. Explains it, like yeah, it's very metaphorical. She's simple-minded, but she's very knowledgeable. Like even she doesn't she doesn't have all the answers. She explains she doesn't have all the answers, but she, <laughs> sort, she's sort of Littlefoot's the source of his his conscience, the source of uh, the, the idealism moral good in, in him. Like that's because mm-hmm. he he wants to strive to be as good as as she is uh, to be yeah. the sort of source of love. She she describes, you know, heading to the Great Valley in a really interesting way that I want to sit on for a second, um, because it, it feels like she's trying to both inform him and also protect him from this knowledge that if they don't make it, they're going to die. And yeah. she has no idea where the Great Valley is. She's like guessing. Like, I get the feeling <laughs> this, this is her best guess based on her years of experience. And... You know, there, there's kind of this dual nature of she's not lying to him. She, you know, there's no sense of human-like deceit or mercy in this character. Yeah. She's telling him the truth, but she's also not telling him the whole truth. She's kind of couching it in ways that he can process. So, yeah, I, I really see it with dig. my heart. I know that it's there. right. Yeah, and that's like that's the only way that she can kind of explain it to him. So she she's giving him all the facts, but she is, you know, it, it's kind of like. You give your kid the talk when you're like ten, and then you also give them the talk when they're like twelve, and then again when they're fourteen. You know, like yeah. it becomes it more complex as they grow up, but they can only kind of handle so much at the beginning. I mean, plus trying to explain the existential dread of death. I mean, trying to explain that to a child is incredibly difficult, and, right. and not helpful, really. Right. Yeah. I mean. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't, the gravity of the situation doesn't hit Littlefoot. Like, we walk through this barren sort of forest, and she reaches up with her long neck and grabs, like, the last leaf and gives it to him. Like, it's a tree star. And he does, like, he doesn't realize, like, oh, we're running out of food. He plays with it. Like, it's his favorite toy. (laughs) Well, and, and it's just, you know, something that he, like, shows his mom's love for him, and he really feels that. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. He does play with it like a toy. And, like, wears it like a hat and everything. Uh, and then they hear Sarah playing and hunting beetles. And, uh, you know, they start playing together the in- before the parents break it up. And generally precocious. Yeah, I uh, I really like this introduction because it's clear that Sarah kind of wants to play with him. 
like in that kind of you know kids in grade school teasing each other kind of way yeah but then she like remembers that her dad is watching and that she has to be you know xenophobic <laughs> three horns never play with long necks we keep to our own kind and and she immediately repeats it like you can see the instilling of these ideals happening in real time <laughs> like yeah you didn't know just with when her dad breaks breaks up their fun and just stares at Littlefoot, just yeah, like giving him the evil eye, and it's like, man, he really hates that this kid. I want to know what kind For of no wars reason. happened in the past between these guys. Like, why do they hate each other so much? Because food is scarce. Yeah, I, I, you got me there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, night falls and he runs into her again and. They they wander off into uh, into a swamp. Yeah. Uh, again, like a lot of the plot in this is just like, and then they meet each other and play around until something else yeah, happens. There's walking and time yeah. passes. Yeah, it's like the Hobbit. Mm-hmm. So uh, they start. Yeah, they they go into a bog. They start playing with this frog, and uh, they encounter a sharp tooth. kind of our big our first big moment our first kind of drama moment that you can very clearly see got cut extensively <laughs> i i love like this is my favorite scene in this entire yeah? movie is this the sharp tooth attack chase i mean it i've never like when i think of childhood fear like j- just the irrational fears that one might have as a child i think of this scene like it's um it's really in your face you feel the danger that they're in like you feel uh, like you're being hunted which is great like this the way they did this was was absolutely fantastic and it's just trying to get away yeah i i agree i think that it's and it really shows how it really justifies the decision by spielberg and lucas to cut a lot of the action scenes because this being more drawn out and having it from the t-rex's point of view that could have been hard yeah i, but I, think, I do feel like I it's think... pretty short compared to like it, it feels real quick i guess like i i really feel like a lot of it got cut well think about what takes place in this scene they're running and hiding from the dinosaur as it like sniffs them out it's very jurassic park so i think spielberg might have taken those deleted scenes and like use their inspiration for those uh, raptor chase scenes probably so Maybe. what i what i like about sharp tooth as like a villain is that he's a mindless brute. he's an animal he's not vindic yeah he's not vindictive at all he's a survivor he's just a, the force of mo- nature quite literally a killing yeah. machine which almost undercuts the whole like racism thing because he's a carnivore and they're herbivores well, and like yeah i was i was wondering about this and like we we also have a quake in this scene, and I, it made me think that having that sharp tooth is kind of unnecessary from a plot point, because the T Rex's the sharp tooth's um, role in this is just to provide an ambient danger. It's not a new character; it is just an atmospheric hazard. 
They're, they're different levels of danger, though. They are. Like, and they this is something you can fight screen. back against. And they play differently on the I screen, mean, but, like, I don't know. It, it, does provide, yeah. it does provide a sense of motivation to our characters because um, the danger is now it's real. Immediate. I mean, it's not like you're going to have, yeah, you're not going to have another earthquake. It's not like the earthquake's going to come and get you. The shark tooth, they're out, they are out there. We have seen them. We have, it's like, a, like, here's another thing that's trying to kill us. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's personal. I mean, I can see it. It just seemed like a lot to have the T-Rex fight and then immediately into an earth shake. Like that well, at first it seems yeah. like the stomping around causes the landslide. Oh, that could be good. Because Littlefoot's mom goes to defend and they like they like fight it out. Well, I mean, it's, it's not. This is a geological thing. Like there, It creates a huge chasm that they can't get across. I mean, this is not because the T-Rex was stomping around. It's coincident... Right. It's coincident, you know, uh, like atmospheric hazards. Just ha- they happen to happen at the same time. Mm. It it felt a little illogical to me, and I got over it. But it just it rankled I me. I thought a bit. it segued kind of well. I liked how it just provided an extra bit of danger now. Um, but mm-hmm. one of the things that still bothers me, even as an adult, is I was watching. I'm watching this, uh, and there's that big wide shot of uh what's going to become this gigantic chasm and you actually see Mm -hmm. dinosaurs like you know scrambling for their lives and then you watch this entire platform that's got like an entire family there just disappear and it's like did i just (laughs) watch a whole family die welcome to prehistory wow like they they play for keeps yeah like and it, it it's almost like you really feel nature's complete indifference. Absolutely, which, is, which makes which makes a community you know that can hold together that much more important. Right, I, th- I think that was something mm-hmm. that was needed was that these forces of nature. You realize that they're not out to get you, but they're always the threat of them is always going to be there as a motivator, and it's just well, and because. And that, that's what I felt like was the stronger, like, if we're going to call these two things villains or crises or threats or whatever, that's what I feel like is the stronger threat from a kind of theme uh, perspective. I just think that they have the sharp tooth in there because it plays better on the screen. It does. And, and they didn't want to hamstring themselves in one way or another, but, like, having them both at the same time felt a little illogical to me that, you know, I... I I can see that they can't get rid of either one. It just, the coincidence of it made me, made me a little frustrated. Um, there, there's a few cool things in this scene that we should point out, like um, animation oh, yeah. and that, that I think are really cool. First of all, the camera shaking when the T-Rex is stomping around is really nice attention to detail. Very much so. I, I love all the, the low shots that you get of the T-Rex, especially when they're in the briar patch and there's that one shot where they, they're looking up at this creature who doesn't see them, but they know that it's looking for them. Yeah. <laughs> I really, really like good. that shot. Um, the sharp tooth animates in a real fun way when he gets hit in the nose with brambles. Oh, yeah. Like, it's, there's like a really nice combination of human and animal. He like waggles his little claws to like get the stuff out of his face. <laughs> it just looks very looks very funny. 
Um, I, I like there's one little bit when they're running through the briar patch, patch where Littlefoot is kind of showing, um, showing uh, Sarah the way to get out. He's like showing a sense of community. He's like, "Come on, this way." And Sarah is mistrustful, follows her instincts, and goes the wrong direction. Yep, <laughs> the first of many times. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's great that they're you know the character is maintained even during what could be a relatively simple you know and like you know like a simple chase scene where there's just a big presence and everyone is acting like scared little people, uh, but keeping the personality within that is is a nice touch. Yeah, yeah, I think so. They do fight. But, um, yeah. <laughs> yep. How do you guys feel about this fight? I'm, I'm kind of glad that the kids did not get, did not have to see the mom getting gored. <laughs> like you see shadows yeah. of it, but you don't see it directly, which I'm kind of happy about. And you see like a big hamburger-shaped bite, yeah. like out of the back i'm like there's no bleeding there's no gore or anything it's just like <laughs> you know like someone just took a big chomp out of it yeah but i think it's and then it leads to the yeah. next scene which is just like one of yeah that's that's my reaction every time i watch it <laughs> it's, i mean this is a pretty famous scene here um it's yeah it's verbatim baby one of the saddest scenes ever well, in Bambi, you don't even see Bambi's mom, you know, meeting her demise. And it's also like the one of the, it's like kind of the first example of the narrator kind of butting in and telling us what I don't need to be told. <laughs> um, yeah, because uh, she, she asks Littlefoot if he remembers the way to the Great Valley, because he's going to have to make the journey alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and we zoom out like very slowly on this tragic scene because it increases the that feeling of isolation and loss yeah and, and like littlefoot's denial is just heartbreaking i mean this is the first moment where i was like there's a lot of similarities for for lion king here because uh there's that scene with mufasa dying in the like getting trampled to death in the in the stampede spoilers um and then you know he <laughs> you know he um He's like, get up, and like, you know, kind of nudging him and trying to get him to to react. Oh yeah, of course. no dice, and and Littlefoot does the same thing. This might be why um, they needed the sharp tooth uh, rather than just killing her off in the earthquake, because Littlefoot is uh, like blaming himself, but also his mother for fighting the sharp tooth. Yeah. Um, and and he like encounters this old dino who kind of gives him a pep talk and like it's it's not anybody's fault. It's just part of the circle of life. Man, we don't all. What make a cranky it. guy this this character is. This rude. <laughs> what he, is he mean, doing here? Um, also, the same. I I like to think that this character is actually the narrator. Like that they were the same voice actor. And I like to think that they're the same. Ooh. But, <laughs> yeah. Um. Well. But yeah, he just I, uh, he imparts just a little bit of wisdom to Littlefoot and just wanders off. <laughs> just just so, wanders off alone. Well, I, well, he he repeats exactly what she said to him in the, the like the previous right. scene. Yeah, like, okay, it's just okay. Rubbing in the feelings, guys. There's there's like a lot. There's like a weird amount of stuff that happens here, and like I feel like we're kind of skating over some key moments. I know. <laughs> so, it's all the same. <laughs> Um, so, so I, if, if you guys don't mind, I do want to like make sure that we don't immediately go past the little uh, the foot mom death sequence or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just just uh, we just crammed a little bit of here plot together, and now here's all the emotions from that. Okay, yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so 
the way I was likening it to the Lion King moment with Mufasa being dead and Simba not really believing it at first, I think this is actually more affecting than the Lion King moment because rather than, you know, getting chased off by Scar and, you know, going in Akuna Matadiing for 20 odd years, like, what happens here is that Simba, it, it, he immediately has to run out for his life. Littlefoot is just given time to mourn. And the atmosphere of it, it's raining, there's that sad clarinet again, and, you know, there's no, he, there's no immediacy to any of Littlefoot's actions. Like, he just, he, he doesn't have to do anything at this point, so it's just all hitting him, and he has no distractions from it. Yeah, every big moment in the movie is followed up by a small yeah. scene that's just telling you, like, hey, sit in this for a second. Yeah, just just wait. Just let it just let it happen cuz like this is this is really big. So uh oh Where gosh. Are they going? I had a couple things and I now they're gone. Yeah. <laughs> well, he he's depressed for the next several scenes until he has something to care about again. Yeah. Yeah. Um you did mention you did mention that Littlefoot meets, you know, kind old Uncle Steg. Um he is surprisingly understanding and you know, he Uncle Steg's kind of being a being a jerk off at the first part, but then Littlefoot kind of explains that his mom's gone, and it's like this really he kind of blames her in a way that I feel like is real relatable. Is kind of an orphan thing. Is like you need to blame someone. Y- you can't blame circumstance, so you can only blame the people who left you behind. I I think that's like yeah. a this might be like a really. I th- I, th- I bet a bunch of kids related to this moment really strongly. Right. This was one of the scenes I always remembered. Like as much as uh, I remembered the uh, the sharp tooth attack and you know, Littlefoot's mother dying, I remembered this scene very well. Um, I don't know what it was. It just stuck with me. I I don't mind saying like the the foot mom death sequence. Like I. I legitimately started crying. Like I couldn't handle it. It's, 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 uh, it's hard to watch. It really is. But I think it's, it's done with a certain level of maturity that, that kids are going to be watching us and kids are going to be able to understand what is going on. Totally. It it treat, they treat the kids like they're older than they really are, Mm -hmm. which is a good thing. Absolutely. Very, very well. Yeah, it's the emotional core of the movie, and it's uh, completely unguarded. Zane, you had mentioned that he tells Littlefoot the exact same thing that Foot Mom had just said a sparse 40 seconds ago. (laughs) Yeah, and then, like, intermission scene with pterodactyls, and then he gets the same pep talk a third time. Yeah. Because he sees his reflection in the water pooled in the star leaf. There's and he hears his mom telling him to move on, and he still moments, can't let it go. There's a lot like, of like it just keeps happening where the writers are not confident that the kids will remember, and I don't know if they would, <laughs> but they, as an adult watching it, it's like, all right, guys, like I have, a, I'm paying attention. Um, Steg, Uncle Steg does say this. There is like this one part of the exchange that I wanted to point out, which is Littlefoot says, "My tummy hurts." And the steg is like, well, that too will go in time, little fella. Only in time. And that only in time, it's so obvious that he's gone through the same thing and has had to cope to survive. Yeah. 
and it's going to be really hard because it's the land before time so like they're gonna have to wait a while yeah right it's not the land within time land just next to time (laughs) yeah the land near time um and then he just leaves well, best of luck to you, kid. Stay gold, pony boy. <laughs> like, come on, man. <laughs> He's a little kid. <laughs> where's your, where's your, you know, like, where's your kindly stranger instincts? I, He's got to know what to like, deal with. I feel like Uncle Stegs here has, he's seen some shit, man. I, and I, I do feel, feel like, like that. <laughs> um, I feel like some of the, that, from his perspective, some of the greatest lessons have to be learned like the hard way and i think that's why he wanders off alone he imparts his little bits of wisdom but then leaves it leaves littlefoot to just uh cope to to make his own path and it's like he's gonna have to do it that could be it could also be like he's been hardened enough by the ravages of time where you know he knows the secret of staying alive is to be heartless and kind of the traditionalist sentimentality i can't take on this you know this burden because then i won't survive yeah the Mm -hmm. the same kind of draw that makes you know long necks only stick toward long necks right Uh, um which it which which is um that message is compounded because what eventually draws littlefoot out of his funk is meeting uh ducky and petrie and like having other people to care about now yeah yeah it just i think it's so cool that this one one-off character that doesn't really do anything except for like tell littlefoot that yeah he's you're right to be sad uh <laughs> and it's, it's such a small moment but i i feel like we get a lot out of this guy yeah i know uh, but next we have one of my most remembered scenes. It's very Fantasia-ish. It's uh, baby pterodactyls fighting over a cherry. <laughs> it's extremely yeah, cherry Fantasia. fight. Like all the pterodactyls are different colors for fuck's sake. <laughs> it, it's like they're wearing I like how there's dresses. No, I like how there's no crazy. There's no dialogue in this entire scene. That's, that's what I kind of like about it. I mean, it's it's a nice little self-contained like game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a little story. Lighten things up for a bit. Yeah. Which is good, because you need that after like the past three scenes which are incredibly good. I, I definitely needed some, some aftercare there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you do get the you get the sense that like these guys are probably better set up to survive in this world, and that is compounding with their not as dismal nature. Like that they're a little bit more upbeat, maybe because they can get to food and so it's not scarce. And then you get that one that's trying to share its cherry with the really, really sad dinosaur, and it's, uh, it is adorable. It's so cute. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, like, he keeps on pushing it forward and hopping back expectantly, oh. like a happy dog, and then, like, oh, I didn't put it close enough, and, like, grabbing it with the beak and putting it even closer. <laughs> and Littlefoot's just like, I want to be sad right now. Yeah, you're really getting in my way, hot stuff. Let me wallow. <laughs> It's very cute. Yeah, incongruously, the narrator feels left out again and tells us what we already know. Littlefoot is sad. Okay, I got it, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he uh, he runs into Sarah. Well, well. before Ooh. that, he's got another Mufasa moment Remember. with a pool of stagnant water, like you said. It's the same. It's the same thing. Littlefoot owns himself yeah. with some shadow puppets have, in a way that I kind of like. I have like. no concept of death oh. as a permanent state of being. Yeah, I think it's, a... <laughs> it's so. Innocent. He sees his shadow, and he runs toward it like, "Oh, that's my mom's shadow." Because we're both, you know, we're both long necks. Yeah, 
or shadows as a function of light. Yeah, and then <laughs> and then the narrator tells us in case we forgot from literally four seconds ago that little facade again. <laughs> in case it's not coming through, guys, uh, audience. I know that I'm kind of jumping around a little bit. This is me telling it in order. <laughs> the narrator says that Littlefoot's sad. Littlefoot owns himself with shadow puppets. The narrator tells us that Littlefoot is sad. Yeah. It's it's literally right. one after another. This is where I think the narrator gets a bit unnecessary. I don't need to know that Littlefoot is sad. I can see it. Mm-hmm. I lived it with him. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, the scenes are great. And I do like the scenes. Like, the repetition of Littlefoot being depressed is important. Really hits home. Yeah. I just don't need it said four times. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. and he's living in his mother's shadow, etc. Um, <laughs> no, Zane, you know. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, enter Sarah. Yeah, he runs into Sarah. She's trying to get herself back with her parents. But uh, he's like, hey, why don't we be alone together? And she's like, no. What I'm a racist. Horn. I'm going to do my own thing. Sarah, she falls a, down a cliff. <laughs> Littlefoot is a mental health risk right now. Like, don't, <laughs> don't diss him. <laughs> but the, she doesn't both, have conception of other people. They're both reacting to tragedy in the kind of different ways. Littlefoot is spiraling into depression. Sarah mm-hmm. is holding on to her pride because that's all she has right now. <laughs> yeah, there are different stages of grief. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, after a couple of other scenes, we go back in and check in on Sarah, and uh, she's gonna stumble upon the remains of the sharp tooth, seeing that it's it's dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's gonna I, taunt and ram it, and then it turns out it's not actually dead. I love that shot. The eye opens in a way that I think got reused for Jurassic Park. <laughs> you know, the close up. That's so That's good. good. Good with like the very like thin reptilian eye. It's so alien. Yeah, like this is a dino, but not the dino that we know. What makes it so spectacular, I think, is, is the score. And this was really good. It goes from like sort of mischievous to shit your pants horrifying (laughs) real quick Mm. and this is part of the movie where we kind of go back and forth between sarah you know going off on her own which happens a few times Mm -hmm. uh versus the others and things are always worse for sarah because she's still sticking to that old way of doing things yes great point um and while she's while she's teabagging a t-rex we enter we, we go back to Littlefoot, and he is meeting Ducky and Petrie. Yeah. Ducky is cute. Yep. She Littlefoot tries to make friends like... with Littlefoot. Littlefoot initially tells her to fuck off. Because um, <laughs> he's get... a long neck. They don't co-mingle. Well, well you, get the, you get the impression that like he's kind of getting jaded. And, yeah. You know, his Cynical. mom can't help. Sarah rebuffs him at every attempt. Like, he's yeah. just kind of accepting, finally, he's, that he's on his own. It's jaded, and it's very... It's, it's a sarcastic comment that he's making, which is kind of odd considering his age. Yeah, and it doesn't suit how, him. How do you have a sense of sarcasm? <laughs> it's like, how do you have a sense of sarcasm? It's like, nah, I don't know what sarcasm is. Just <laughs> we don't have that at this mm-hmm. point in Before Time. Um, but Ducky's too precocious and earnest to, like, yeah. be rebuffed. She just, like, breaks through all of his barriers. How, yeah, how is she so kind of accepts that not everyone is a jerk yeah. like he comes out of it well probably because ducky wasn't like ingrained with this fierce xenophobia <laughs> right well, how, D- ducky hatched after the the earth shake how yeah. is she so happy though living in an apocalypse with very little food 
I, I think that dumb. maybe she embodies that kind of curiosity that Littlefoot had for Sarah right at the beginning. You know, yeah, he was really excited before he realized that it was a source of, you know, danger and embarrassment. Mm-hmm. And so, so. I, I think that Ducky's just the, the innocence that Littlefoot yeah, has lost a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then Petrie shows up, and this is real ham-handed. It's a he, much like, briefer falls, intro. He falls on them, and he's like, I'm a flyer, but I can't fly. I really want to know how to fly, but I can't fly. <laughs> and we're like, okay. He's yeah. terrified of flying, which is great. I, I understand where your arc is going to yeah. go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, all we learn is that he's a weirdo, and then we're done. Like, with, with Ducky, <laughs> we got a lot of information. Like, oh, you know, he's getting depressed and jaded, and this is the innocence that Littlefoot has lost. And, you know, it's the positivity that we sorely mm. needed after after, after Footmom yep, died. Um, Lovable, and, weird. You know, <laughs> Petrie just like, we don't get anything. He's just weird, <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> I, I do yeah. like his I do like his mannerisms, though. I, they are can, They are infectious to me. I, I like that his name is Petrie because he's a pterodactyl with the silent P. So P T, like that I, works. I never thought of that. That's kind of nice. Um, P. Yeah, it begins with P as in pterodactyl. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> like you're uh, like you're on the phone like reading out a code and it's like P as in pterodactyl. Yeah, oh uh, fuck off. <laughs> T as in pterodactyl. I, I would refuse to process their medical claim oh, if they yeah. started it like that. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, I recently had an issue with some of my utility bills. I'm not going to say the company that did it, but when I set up the account, I called them on the phone, and I literally spelled out my name for them. I get my first bill, and my name is spelled wrong, and I'm just like, What's how the, can you, yeah. you had one it's job. Two letters, <laughs> J-T. <laughs> have, you, have, you, uh, have you tried the uh, NATO phonetic alphabet? <laughs> Maybe that's the way to go. I... I don't know where they got extra letters from. J, as in that's Jaws the, the movie. Maybe T, the other one's not too lonely. as in T-Rex from Jurassic Park. Like, that's why vowels <laughs> exist, is because all the consonants get lonely. Ah, uh, yeah. what? <laughs> 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 all right, all right, J- JT... JT, it's time to let you in on a little secret. Every so often, I'll just throw something out there just to see how Zane, like, reacts to it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> like... That's not wrong. <laughs> it's just infuriating. <laughs> like, what do you want me to do with that, Ben? As I say, if you speak French, pronouncing every consonant is for chumps. Yeah. <laughs> it's for They're just for flavor. Yeah. It's like a, just a little pepper. We run into Sarah again. Yeah, they run into Sarah. They do bravado at each other. And then yep. they're like, sharp tooth is happening. Let's team up because... I like, oh boy. I like that. Uh, I like that Sarah brags about fighting the sharp tooth, like it kind of like impressing the underclassmen that she totally doesn't care if she impresses or not. Oh, like, she chews the scenery. Yeah, it felt like uh, it felt like Daria, like or like Jane, like making up her hair for <laughs> the kids that don't appreciate her. It's, it's very mm-hmm. funny. And uh, in the course of her retelling, she launches Ducky into uh, Spike's part of the woods, and we get to see Spike hatching. Yep. Spike is the embodiment of my life goals of just sleeping and eating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's a real trophy dino. I, I think it's so c- funny, like, how clearly this is supposed to be their dog. <laughs> like, he's the yeah. only one that doesn't talk, which means he is clearly just a dog. Yeah. And the narrator drives home the point of diversity, like, there had never been such a collection before. I, I actually kind of like this one. Like, I, I like him kind of underlining that this is a weird 
they're a weird uh they're a weird herd it re- yeah. I, I think that this I, one in- i did like that i think that this one reinforces the theme as opposed to getting in its way right yeah d- disadvantaged communities in times of crisis need to hold together and that that's uh i'm like that that keeps coming up and now that he has something to care about littlefoot kind of takes on that that leader paladin role that you mentioned where yeah He's like, okay, I know that we have to get to the Great Valley. Uh, tree stars grow with water, so we should follow the water. Yeah. Doesn't make nonsense. Oh. A better idea than anyone else has had. <laughs> They're children. Yeah. Um, but they it, see it, what looks like a Great Valley. Well, it turns out to be just a good valley. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, it's fine. It, it's all right. Uh, there are better valleys. And, but it does have, uh, it does have some trees. With some with some leaves, two and a half out of five stars. Yeah, <laughs> would would use restroom again, and it, and it does have some food. And it's at this point that I realize that none of them have eaten for weeks, which is <laughs> right. A little scary. Well, they're reptiles, right? Like they can go a long and time. Neither of those other dinosaurs. Yeah, but uh, so they, it, there is food there. Um, what exactly happened in this scene? A herd of nondescript long necks just burst out of a wall. <laughs> Yeah, not long neck, long yeah. necks, but other long neck dinos. Um, you know, they they think it's another Earthshake, but it's just these guys bursting through, eating all the food, and then leaving. <laughs> what is that? It's like, like where'd they come it's from? It's sort of like when it's sort of like when Furbies first came out, and all those adults are like punching each other over children's toys. So <laughs> this time you can eat the Furbies, and it's a survival <laughs> situation. So I had not thought of it like that. I mean, we're we're just like at this point, you're seeing. Like coping with living in a famine. Yeah, like that's it, that's what we're seeing. We're seeing that you know yeah. it doesn't matter. Like things have gotten so bad that they've gone feral. These dinosaurs are willing to to burst through walls and just to to get a bite to eat. You know. Yeah, the the <laughs> they're Kool Aid manning it. The the rioting and looting has begun. Yeah, oh just, yeah! Like why burst through a wall? <laughs> just I don't I don't even know where the wall was. It just it seems so weird to me. Uh, but they they do eventually find another tree with leaves and work together. This is great because they're not long necked enough to get it, mm-hmm. so they have to like stack on top. But Sarah's a jerk and like doesn't contribute. I like how yeah. they give Sarah like a false sense of accomplishment just by oh this is like, so good. It's she so hits good. the tree trying to get the leaves and they they dump some leaves on her and she thinks she did it herself. It's yeah, Littlefoot like, <laughs> like throws her a bone to like to like assuage her ego. Yeah, and like she's still so proud, she goes off to sleep on her own, feels, and the others cuddle up close. I think this is actually a really important thing for Littlefoot to do. Like he just wants her to be fed. He doesn't really care about being thanked. That's we get really insight about how like good natured he is. Like he cares about this person. It's okay that she doesn't contribute. Like he just wants her to be okay. It's I don't know. Yeah, he's that's, a leader. Yeah, this he's is a good leader. That's the type of person you really want in your community and in your life. I I, I think that that moment's great. Um, but he is still haunted. He goes off on his own and, and grieves her a bit. And then everybody who was cuddling up at Sarah then goes to cuddle up with him. And then even Sarah, the, you know, cuddles up with them as well. The um, I know that we want to get through it faster because we <laughs> we're chilling for a while. But this is a probably the most important scene in the movie to me. Uh huh. Yeah, so, cool. if, if you guys don't mind, I'm just going to unpack it as quickly as I can. Sure. 
Sarah goes off to sleep by herself. The others all go off as well to kind of comfort her or whatever, or just because um, Littlefoot doesn't. We like Notice what he's doing. He retreats from his new family, so to speak, and he houses himself in a footprint of a different long neck. It was a sharp tooth. Oh, and I thought like, it was a it, sharp tooth. Yeah. It was? Oh, I'm so <laughs> stupid then. I mean, he's still, like, grieving. Yeah. Like, the the point is still there. I guess so. It's less oh. cool to me now. <laughs> <laughs> like traveling well, okay. in the footsteps of your ancestors? Is that what you're... Let's reframe this. He's still, like, grieving from this event, from the sharp tooth that took his mom away. So he he's, like, staying close to those thoughts. And so I think that it's, it is important that he's taking shelter in that footprint. So so he's, he's, like, denying the security of his new family by staying in the past, and I think that's really good. He's doing what Sarah j- normally does in this moment, which is, like, carrying around with him that grief that is in, in order to be close to his departed, even though it's painful. Um, what Sarah de- generally does is to deny help in favor for her pride because that's all she has left. So they're kind of mirroring each other in this way. But then one by one, the others follow him there to ease his burden. So... Mm-hmm. You know, him him kind of creating this community is really paying off. His kindness is being repaid in his moment of need. And even Sarah gets in on it eventually, which is really nice. Uh, I think this is might be the most heartwarming as any scene I've ever encountered. It is a heartwarming scene. It's it's a it's a nice bit and it's it's silent, which is great cuz you know th- this Yeah, the narrator actually figures out not to talk during this one, which is nice. <laughs> this movie works well when it's silent cuz that was how it was originally envisaged. Uh, yeah, the, the narrator, he's just like, Littlefoot felt sad and alone, like, but he wasn't up, that cat. alone. We can tell. <laughs> Look at his friends. <laughs> yeah, we get it. <laughs> um, but they wake up to uh, the growls of a sharp tooth. Yep, and the sharp tooth chases them away. Before that, the sharp tooth crushes the tree star. Like, absolutely crushes the childhood dreams. Yeah, terrible. You know, that's that I think is one of my favorite shots in this movie. And one of the most important <laughs> shots is Sharp Tooth pretty much being like life coming in and saying, nope. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No more reminiscing. Uh, we've, we've got reality on our hands here. All I could think was like, man, that treasured memory was also food and they didn't eat that food. And that's awful. <laughs> um, and then we get a, another chase scene uh another falling down a chasm yeah and uh because littlefoot didn't think that sarah was telling the truth about sharp shit sharp tooth still being there which you know that's valid sarah's a liar um the narrator makes a point of calling him out for being untrustworthy yeah they lose faith in him i don't think he deserves the grief that he gets here from the rest of the team like he's been he's been you know going He's been palleting it up for like long enough to earn some back credit, and, but I mean, they, they don't all abandon. turn on him. Well, they they don't abandon him at first, but like they don't have any other leads. They follow him. The air gets worse. There's ash, sandstorms, and they get to the top of the mountain and they look down at the Grand Valley, and there's just nothing there. And the music just lets it's you down. Paradise Lost. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah, this, this is what leads me to believe that they're all dead. They're actually all <laughs> dead right away. They tried to find the Great Valley. They found it, but it's just as subject to the climate changing as everything else. 
it's yeah. like it's like the first rendition like in a in a clue sort of way like that's the first ending yeah is they all just die in that crevasse it's like that's it they did not survive the crash and and littlefoot's like no we have to we have to keep going i know it's there and sarah's like i'm going this way and everyone else is like yeah, and we're going then, with her. And then, there is is a power str- and then there is a power struggle and a race war. Between- <laughs> yeah, a, it's a nice mutiny. And, yeah. and they fall down a mountain again. Yeah. I, I think it's really like important that Littlefoot is violent for the first time here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, it, it, the stress is finally getting to him, and he lashes out. It's the loss of innocence that we, you know. Mm-hmm. He's um, nothing without the support of his friends. Yeah. Right. And all that sexual tension finally bubbles to the surface. And his friends abandoned him because the going's too tough. <laughs> you, and you get the sense of the two, of, like, when Littlefoot and, and Sarah fight, you get the sense of two parents having it out in the kitchen while the kids watch from the staircase. Yeah, yes. they're battling Especially with, with Spike burying his head in the sand, like, I don't want to see <laughs> this. Not for yeah. the kids. Yeah. Not for the kids. And... Sarah leads them off in another direction and it's just <laughs> into Mordor. regrettable because yeah. it's volcanoes, Holy shit, volcanoes and tar pits and earthquakes and like how how, did, how is this right there? <laughs> Here's my question to this. How did they get stuck in the lava? Like <laughs> that they actually just appear on an island in the middle of this lava and it's just like how did they get there? When was lava? Well, I mean they're all fault like Littlefoot and Sarah are the only capable leaders, and Sarah is incapable of, you know, accepting the facts that are shown to her. She's too stubborn. She's too headstrong. She's not going to turn back despite going into lava territory, and the rest don't have a better idea, so they just follow. Stuck and in Littlefoot has to bail them out. <laughs> it's kind of an interesting it's moment that, that uh, Littlefoot is doing the is like the good-natured team player, but he isn't followed because. He realizes what they need to do is hard and not immediately fulfilling, mm-hmm. and it kind of it, it it feels like a it feels like something that happens all the time in our society where you know you really want a like a strong leader. How often do we want a strong leader who you know says that they have all the answers and that the answers are simple, and that the other people just don't understand how simple the answers are? And we always like as a society tend to flock toward them as opposed to embracing the fact that. No, like, climate change is real, and it's all going to suck for us for a while, but we can't just ignore the problem. <laughs> You're making my eye twitch. That could just be the caffeine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, oh. Anyway. A land before politics. I mean, you can insert any social problem there. Like, there's always going to be leaders who acknowledge the problems and always them that deny the yes, problems. And I feel like a lot true. of the time, people tend to follow the ones that promise a simple solution that they know doesn't exist. I mean, life's hard. I, I just want to know, how did they get out of the tar pit? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. You follow you follow the leader. You follow the leader who has all the answers. And before you know it, you're stuck in lava. And like, how did it, how did we get here? <laughs> this is exactly what happened with McCarthy. Yeah, they make it out. It's just like, wait a minute. We are missing a crucial transition here. Like, we go from, like, this is how all the dinosaurs died in the Rite of Spring, was getting stuck in the mud. And, and now it's, wait, they're out? How did that happen? <laughs> and the way that it's done is, like, okay, Littlefoot saves Ducky and Spike from the lava, and they all go in to help Petrie out of the tar, but they all get stuck in. And then we switch to seeing Sarah getting attacked by hardheads, 
and a giant tar monster approaches and scares them off. And it's like this grotesque abomination, which ends up just being the gang in like tar, tar face. Yeah, covered in tar. Yeah. Which, again, uh, is another scene that we see in The Brave Little Toaster. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. Same same thing happens. <laughs> yeah, in the B-movie horror show thing. Oh, yeah. That was a great scene. I like that one. But, but we, you know, Littlefoot has given up on his grief. He's embracing his new family by coming back. He's not just, you know, following his mother's voice to the detriment of everything else. He's, he's you know, he's listening to his charges. He's taking their feelings into consideration, and that's why he comes back. Sarah, faced with other hardheads... Wouldn't you know it, other hardheads are not that nice to her. They are probably also being like, no, hardheads don't play with three horns. <laughs> and, you know, you, you get any two of those alpha personalities in a room and it's bad times. So. It's like, but look at how much bone we have. <laughs> yeah. and, the, and the narrator tells us that Sarah is too proud to admit that she is wrong. <laughs> narrator! And she moves sad off to Sarah. cry. Sad <laughs> Sarah, Sarah, tough sad. shit. <laughs> But, oh, but here's the thing once again she goes off on her own and the sharp tooth is there <laughs> like it's just like every like this movie's not that complicated because every scene that happens happens three times well in, in sarah's case it makes sense because she is so stubborn that it needs a few repetitions to sink in but yeah and, um, and then we get this i here's the transition that i don't quite understand (laughs) it's like hey i have a plan it's simple we kill the sharp tooth yes like he immediately devises this really like sherlock-esque three like 10 moves ahead kind of plan it's it's scooby-doo like trick him into water (laughs) shove a rock on his head ducky you're the bait (laughs) ducky you're the bait and why was ducky chosen as bait like seriously because ducky can how did they arrive at that conclusion (laughs) Well, because Ducky's the loudest. I mean, that actually makes sense. <laughs> and, like, the plan, just like Scooby-Doo, the plan works, but not really, because the sharp tooth just jumps onto the cliff and humps that boulder that they're going to throw on him. Yeah. yeah. But Sarah uh, shows up to headbutt it and manages to push it, and he, he like... And, P- and Petrie learns to fly. Let's not forget yeah, because he gets caught in the crossfire. Yeah, he immediately learns to fly. He learns to fly and then immediately gets like, bit. We have to deal with the ramifications of sacrificing our friend in the name of revenge. <laughs> revenge is very important in this super society. Great. I'm surprised he still has a foot left. <laughs> he, he got bit. <laughs> like it, this scene is is pretty great. I love the the action of it. I love the way that it takes place. Great. We get I love resolution what it says of about... storyline, which didn't need to be there. Fine. Nope. Sure didn't. But still, resolution. I like but, how uh, when Sarah comes yeah. back and, you know, her hard head is finally useful, we get the idea of, like, oh, this stubbornness is not without merit. It just needs to be directed in a good way, in the yeah, way that with, Littlefoot has put others. this plan together and has said, put your hard head and all of your anger and frustration yes. at this point and things will be good. And they are. And it kind of reminds me of kind of, it encapsulates my yeah, feelings that- on martial arts, how, like, it's not power, but the use of that power that is what you teach, you know? I I like this scene a lot, but it is very different from everything else in the movie. How do you mean? Just the, the turnaround, like, thinking of the sharp tooth as something that can be defeated, first off. Um, 
working together in this physical environment like like compared to like getting food earlier when sarah wasn't doing it and they managed it anyway and now when they need her that works the terrain is completely different from everything because it's like at a waterfall i don't know it just felt uh a little weird when every other scene is repeated so many times it is yeah yeah, this transition is kind of weird going into this. Like, it seems like it doesn't it's like, hey, resolution quite time. belong. Yeah. It still worked out. I kind of like viewing the sharp tooth as, like, the culmination of the, un- the impassable struggle in front of them. So earlier in the movie, when Foot Mom fought the sharp tooth, like, we needed Foot Mom's protection the old ways were the only ways to do things we had to combat them with force now we're in a place where that force is unavailable to us the old solutions don't work we have to work together and them defeating the same problem that we previously saw as only defeated by other sufficient force that feels pretty powerful to me so i I like that they do i do i like that they do overcome him physically it is very powerful i think it's just yeah i i like that but it's just, why did they come up with the decision to hunt the <laughs> shark tooth and kill it? Yeah. It, it, it doesn't quite... I can see it working in like a defensive stance, where it's like, they're attacked, yeah, we need to band together to defeat this. We, should, we should also probably put um, some, but some props they to the sharp tooth for like, hounding them for fucking weeks. Well, everything else is dead. They're the only thing alive. It's, the only sorts of food for it. So yeah, you gotta be there. It's it's fast when every other scene is slow. Right. That yes. that I'll agree with. It is a very it's very quick. Yeah, and and it felt like they were trying to get the movie done with a little bit. Uh, yeah, we are too. Yeah, it it did feel. Rough. We've done all it, the emotional stuff. We kind of Sarah has come around. Littlefoot's come around. We've embraced this new way of things. But like, they just needed a signifier to tell us oh it's it's for keeps like yeah. we have all learned today <laughs> and uh littlefoot sees a cloud that looks like his mother and uh and she says gets a remember who you are you are my son simba yeah it's like identical to the lion king <laughs> cloud moment chasing chasing the clouds to the promise He's like listen I, I i failed you i'm having a hard time following your wishes and then like the clouds wisp away and he follows them and there's the valley yeah, that that's very rushed. <laughs> yeah, like if and they had killed the T Rex and, and the T Rex falls into the Great Valley, that would have been you know <laughs> that would have been really confusing <laughs> metaphorically speaking. <laughs> Only by murdering our enemies can we reach the salvation. Yeah, I feel I feel like that's the wrong direction to go with this. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, the Great Valley, and it, like everyone else is already there. The, the aesthetics up on the here. Kids. Well, yeah, that was set up, is that the herds are all moving toward it, and this chasm is why they couldn't follow, But that, so they had to take a different route. And obviously, mm-hmm. you know, the things with the longer legs and not having to butt heads and go to Lava Land are going to get there quicker, so it makes sense. Aesthetically, it's an extremely cathartic payoff to all of the harsh reds and dusty plains that we've been dealing with for the whole movie. This place is beautiful. It's blue, it's green, it's bright, it's shiny... And yeah, it'll make it all is. your dreams come true. Vote for Pedro. <laughs> and uh, yeah, what's what's up with Don Bluth and and like losing kids or the threat <laughs> of losing kids? I mean, you see this in American Tale, just like the entire movie is about a lost child. 
The Secret of Nim is about a mother trying to protect her children from being lost. It's it's family. It's a family film. That's that's the theme yeah. that hits you. Lost kids. Yeah, and, and to kind of give us a a um a kind of recap of that family film narrative, uh, the narrator reminds us that Littlefoot has grandparents in case we forgot. Yeah. Which we didn't. You have heartwarming flashbacks. So here's yeah. the thing. <laughs> here's the we heartwarming... get a clip show of the movie. <laughs> that we get... And Spike has no family. <laughs> okay. I need to defend this clip show <laughs> because even though it's an hour long, and so the clip show like is pretty silly that it just is teletubbying us what happened again. Um, I do like how the emotional montage seamlessly goes from images to of his grandparents to images of his new family with, yeah. you know, Sarah and yeah. Ducky and Petrie and Spike. It shows us how much he's grown. <laughs> and there's there's no delineation between that. Mm-hmm. You know, it goes from the happy moments early in his childhood to the rough housing with Sarah. Like, you know, it, it doesn't Aww. skip a beat. And that's that's great. Like, the, the walls have been effectively teared down by this point. Mm-hmm. It's it's still just a little weird. <laughs> it, it, it struck me as kind of weird at first, but I, I quickly grew to appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. I do like how the Dilophosauruses uh, adopt Spike. That's kind of nice. Yeah, yeah. The big mouths. The big mouths. Yeah. I, I never learned the proper term. <laughs> There's a bit of a bittersweet denouement to this movie as we realize that all the dinosaurs are dead anyway. So Littlefoot is dead, Sarah's dead. It's, it's you know, but apparently, supposedly the, the kids watching the movie would not have that concept in mind at this point. I feel like that's the only thing people know about dinosaurs. Like, that's the first thing is they're not around anymore. I mean, like, I mean, that's kind of their big thing is that they were the rulers of the earth and now they're all dead. Unless they proceeded watching this by watching We're Back. Weird yeah. movie. That I mean, I guess that's sort of the Christian metaphor again, is the meek <laughs> shall inherit the earth, and the meek are not dinosaurs. <laughs> no, not not at all. No, we're we're back. That's a weird movie. I forgot all about that movie. You wanna you wanna jump into We're Back real quick and uh <laughs> just do the entire movie? Not right now. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Live like, action animation that's a, that's with show. dinosaurs. That's another show. Is Brendan Fraser in that? Anyway, uh, we get an obligatory pop ballad over the end credits because James Horner already kind of had that. As his <laughs> yeah, stick. that's a little weird. I could have just dealt with the theme again. Plus, it's the '80s, and like every, every '80s movie had a pop ballad at the end of it. I mean, I'm trying to think of a good example. Dune. Yeah. When when, uh, when David Lynch did his failed. Uh, attempt at making Dune into a movie ended it with a pop ballad. Nineteen eighties. <laughs> it's it's a thing. Failed. I think you're forgetting about uh, Sting in a cod piece. No, that I'm just trying to forget. <laughs> but okay, that, that, another strange movie. He was the real Dune. <laughs> See, I love that sentence. <laughs> it was the it real. Makes, it makes sand- no goddamn sense. <laughs> His cod was the real sandworm. <laughs> oh, there it is. But yeah, that's 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 the land in between time. 
That's the man full of trouble. What happens with the land after time? You mean the sequels? So interesting in the in the next movie, uh, they meet a baby sharp tooth and realize that even they're not so different. Yeah, that's interesting. This movie really held toward the herbivore versus carnivores, and the carnivores were kind of the environment and kind of were you know mindless killing machines. It, it, it would have worked if they and went it, for the, like the fox and the hound type of thing, where at the yeah. end they realize yes, we're way too different. Like it's it's not gonna work out. We can still kind of be friends, but we just know it's not going to work out. It's I, not you, yeah. it's me. I guess with the with the hindsight of the next Land Before Time movie, the sharp tooth in this movie is less of an environmental force and uh, more of a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, preying on people uh, migrating. Yeah. That's right. Right, the refugees. <laughs> preying on migrant Don't workers. Have, like nothing to do with the sequels. It's like studio says, let's make money. Let's yeah. Throw some money at D- direct it. Direct-to-video. Hope for the best. They, yeah. they cashed oh. it in. and They're you know, still like, cashing it in. I, I possess... I mean, I, I possess, you know, a robust enough headcanon that I can perfectly well enjoy this movie without the knowledge of future movies tainting that yes. in any way. But I can understand the point of view from somebody who's like, this franchise just kind of makes me sick at this point. <laughs> <laughs> right. the, the first one like as a standalone film is fantastic yes this is i highly recommend it to anybody who hasn't seen right it. this is the kind of thing that i'm gonna put on lists for like you know my eventual potential progeny yeah you know mm-hmm. you know in the same way that i'm like putting like my, the mega man games or you know a uh, 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 fraggle rock you know things that they obviously aren't going to encounter without my help um, the Goonies and the Sandlot. The Goonies and the Sandlot is very special. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Land Before Time is definitely going on there. And I'm very happy to find that this was a great movie. Yeah, it still holds up. Like, it's still beautiful. It does. It's still beautiful. It's good to look at. It's it's a good, it's wonderful to watch. There maybe was a pacing issue at the end. It happened real fast at the end. Like, I don't know if it sounded to anyone like we kind of hurried to the end part of it was that we were been recording for a while and part of it is also that the end is very fast yeah right but it but it is refreshing like just how short this movie is if they were gonna put that like 10 extra minutes into the movie that they lost through editing i would have put it at the end to to try to make it not quite as quick oh like they kill the sharp tooth and then they go through the chase scene with the sharp tooth i'd say leading up to the hate maybe leading up to hey let it's simple. We kill the shark too. We should just <laughs> and a little lava. bit more in between that. You know, we kill the shark. It's simple. We kill the sharp tooth. I I can't do the Joker. Neither can I. That's why I don't even try. And may, maybe maybe if the narrator had been a bit, uh, you know, minded his own business a little more. I yeah, I think that's my biggest problem with the movie is just that the narrator just get, doesn't give me doesn't give any faith in kids to recognize very very clear facial expressions on the part of Littlefoot. Yeah. I mean, like his whole body is saying sad for half the movie. Like kids can pick up on when there's some when someone is sad. Yeah, very big facial expressions. It's how they learn emotions when they're babies is by looking at facial expressions. They mirror and they like understand intuitively. Like we we don't need it said. I've said enough about it. We're good. Yeah. Um. So that's uh, that's the land before time. Yeah. JT, JT thank you, you so have... much for joining us. 
do you have any do you have any kind of closing remarks that you didn't get to to voice um, before we head out? No, uh, we we covered it all. Um, this was I had a lot of fun doing this. Exhaustively, yeah, <laughs> exhaustively. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm glad I had a lot to. Of fun doing this. Yeah, I'm glad to put this one in our pocket because it's definitely huge and influential in a lot of ways that I didn't, I wasn't really thinking about. Was partly influential for Jurassic Park and the like, but you know. I, I'm definitely I'm definitely glad to look at this one with a more considered adult eye. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you have it. Uh, thanks again for coming on our show. Um, do you want to plug your own podcast one more time before sure. we kind of uh, start signing off? You can off? find uh, myself and Dan Caves at uh, the Cocktail Party Congress, which is also part of the Fancy Bat Podcast Network. Um, you can check us out at cocktailpartycongress.com. Uh, you can send us an email, like us on Facebook, tell your friends, tell your family, tell your pe- tell your pets, and uh, yeah, tell, tell dinosaurs, like, and tell them about the Carton Cast too, because uh, they're a lot of fun to listen. Yes, to. Lis- <laughs> listeners of the Carton Cast, please check out the Carton Cast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> listeners of the Carton yeah, Cast, BYOB. Yeah, check out the Cocktail Party Congress, and if you don't like politics, you can at least listen to the first little bit of the show and learn how to make a new cocktail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. I really like the descriptions of the cocktails. You guys get very, you guys get very into it. I'm, I'm extremely glad that that is a, that is a segment. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to your episode on the land before time. Mm-hmm. So, uh, wrapping up for our own podcast. Yep. Uh, um, so Zane, what do we have? Uh, what are we doing next time? So next time we are looking at a mech anime with mobile suit Gundam Wing. Um, Gundam Wing was sort of one of the ones that uh, really popularized the Gundam series in the U.S. and it's uh, one that's pretty easily available. So we've that decided was my to go with that one. And, yeah, and it's it's one of the only ones that I like. Kind of remember hearing about broadly as a kid. Like the other ones may be better, they may be more emblematic, but they are ones that i don't have any familiarity with and i don't think are as relevant to talk about so jt you um, you've seen the the show what did you think of it i have um i like this show uh it it's it was the first i would say it's the first anime i watched like the entire series from front to back <laughs> pretty good and, then. And, and i liked it i was i was like i don't know why i like this so much but i do <laughs> Cool. Uh, very, very political. A lot of characters, a lot of ins and outs, and it was uh, pretty fascinating as a cool. show. Yeah, if you want to, uh, if you want to watch a couple episodes and write in uh, a comment, we'd appreciate it. And Ben, how about after that? So after that, I'm gonna try to take kind of a left, cur- like kind of a curveball into thing that, into like a different kind of animation style and a different kind of property that. Maybe you've heard of before. It has been suggested to us, and I thought this would be kind of a nice uh, curveball to throw, um, since you know we've been doing a lot of uh, we always do like Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network, and this one is just a little strange. Uh, we're gonna do Clone High, which is a series Clone about cloned high. historical figures in high school. It was suggested to us quite some time ago by uh, someone by the name of Mike Beach. So thank you very much, Mike, for yeah. putting this on the radar. I'm sorry we didn't get to it sooner, but I hope that you listen because well, we've been we've been thinking about this one for we've been thinking about this one for a long time. It just never seemed like the right time because it's such a weird one-off kind of thing. 
Yeah, it's insane. Like, it's an insane conceit, and I appreciate the insanity. Like, it's anime levels of ridiculous, but it's not an anime. Mm-hmm. Like, just, yeah, in, I, just in the idea alone, not even execution, which is also bizarre. Yeah, I, I, I go on record for loving the episode of it that is a PSA about sleep deprivation that's supposed to be, like, the dangers of, of, uh, of drug use, but instead of drugs, it's staying awake because staying awake is cool. <laughs> <laughs> and articulated like, through the filter of uh, teenage Abraham Lincoln and teenage John, uh, Kennedy. So, like, I love Kennedy as the John. <laughs> uh, yeah, he, he's pretty good. Uh, well, so, fantastic. Yeah, that'll, that'll be fun. Yeah. And, uh, and if so you want to be the will... jock to us, you can write in to the Cartoncast. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> feel free to come, uh, go ahead and write into the Cartoncast. Either go to our website. Go to our Facebook page, uh, leave a comment anywhere you want. If you like the Carton Cast and want to give us a rating or review on iTunes, we would really appreciate it. We would love to hear what you think. More than anything else, though, please tell your friends about the show if you think they would like talking about sharp teeth. Yes, tell your friends, be they big mouths, flyers, long necks. Needle dicks. Uh, <laughs> Tweedledee ass eyes. Um, <laughs> or just have very terrible Kennedy impersonations. Swamp it's not as bad as you might think it is. <laughs> I guarantee you ours are worse. That's it. Uh, and uh, yeah. thanks again for this time during the Land Before Time time.